Hey there, everyone. Michael A. Bryan here from the Oracular School of Astrology with yet another question and answer segment where practicing astrologers bring me their questions and I provide them answers based on my astrological practice. If you're enjoying these Q&A segments and you'd like to work with either myself or an OSA certified astrologer, then by all means, check out our website where you can book yourself a high quality astrological consultation today. And if you'd like to become a professional astrologer, then check out our professional astrologers diploma program, as well as our medical astrologers diploma program by visiting the education page of our website. I, you know, I have a question. We've talked in class a lot about the angular planets and pregnancy, or not a lot. On one day, we spent some time talking about that Neptune. Um, other planets on the angles, also, can they be indicative like Uranus? And Okay, and what type of charts are you talking about? Solar return chart. Got it. All right. Do you have Uranus on the angle, Merriman? <laughs> <laughs> immaculate <laughs> <laughs> that would be a <laughs> the question has to do with angular planets in soul return charts in general and how those angular planets can often indicate major concrete events that will end up manifesting within that year now this idea of the power of angular planets in soul return charts it is in no way shape or form a michael bryanism and in fact, I do believe that the source of this idea comes from the school of Western sidereal astrology, in which they use soul return charts a lot as their annual predictive technique. And within that, they're really focusing on how angular planets are. Now, I think where this came from for me was that I might have heard that within a Western sidereal astrology lecture, or I may have read that in the book on Western sidereal astrology by Cyril Fagan. Now, I may not actually be giving myself enough credit because I might have also have started to notice this power of angular planets in soul return charts independently, and then saw that corroborated in the work of Western sidereal astrology. Either way, no matter which came first, the chicken or the egg, the point is that within the school of Western sidereal astrology, there is this notion of the power of angular planets and the ability of angular planets to predict concrete events within a given year of life for a person. So that exists. And within the school of Oraculos astrology, our notion surrounding this really developed from my marriage and divorce research study that I conducted a number of years ago. And in that research study, I basically wanted to see whether or not soul return charts had the ability to powerfully predict major love events within the life of a person. And that's what I was going for. I wasn't necessarily going for marriage as a specific topic or for divorce as a specific topic or for meeting your soulmate for the first time as a specific topic. I simply was looking for major love events that occurred within the life of a person. And in spades, those major love events always seemed to occur when that person had an angular Venus. And that could be Venus in any of the four angular houses. That could be Venus in the first house, the fourth house, the seventh house, or the tenth house. Whenever somebody had an angular Venus within their soul return chart, it also was indicative of a major love event unfolding within the life of that person. And then after discovering that basic theme, 
I then started to specify between major love events that led to either the onset of a one-on-one -on -one romantic relationship or a major love events that led to the end of a one-on-one -on -one romantic relationship. And that requires a more nuanced approach, which I won't get into now, but for all intents and purposes, the angular Venus, nine times out of 10, probably eight and a half times out of 10, seemed to be a recurring theme whenever there was a major love event that occurred within a year of that person's life. Now, from the angular Venus, I have branched out and included other angular planets within the concept of my soul return work. So for example, very often when a person has an angular Pluto, that can indicate a person who's making a major life change that oftentimes is a relocation. So if I see Pluto rising within the person's solar return chart, or if I see Pluto within the fourth house, or even Pluto in the seventh or Pluto in the 10th, even though the relocation pattern seems to happen more when there's Pluto in the fourth or Pluto in the first, that tends to manifest as a major relocation event within the life of a person. An angular Uranus, for example, as I think many people know, can oftentimes represent a major severance within the life of a person. And one of our not so traditional, but still traditional astrological aphorisms is that if we have Uranus angular within the seventh house in a question that has to do with love, then that Uranus can often bring about everything other than love, and it can oftentimes bring about the ending of the relationship. So that's something that we see when a person is having an angular Uranus within the context of their soul return chart. And even within that, there is nuance because that definitely seems to be the case when that person is having Uranus rising in the first house, Uranus setting in the seventh house, or Uranus conjunct their fourth house cusp. In other words, Uranus conjunct their IC. I'm not so sure that having Uranus as the highest elevated planet in the 10th house of a soul return chart necessarily registers within my heart and mind as a divorce signature as strongly as Uranus in the first fourth or seven does tend to manifest as a divorce signature. But once again, I've not practiced all of the astrology I plan to practice for the rest of my life. So who knows, maybe Uranus in the 10th also carries that signification, but I definitely know that Uranus in the 1st, Uranus in the 4th, or Uranus in the 7th carries that signification for sure. Mars, angular for example, could be a year where there is a lot of contention or friction within the life of a person. Mars angular in the 1st house could just be friction in general. Mars angular in the 10th house could be friction within a person's career. Mars angular in the 7th house could be friction in terms of that person's romantic relationship. Mars angular within the 4th house could be friction or wars or arguments within the context of that person's family life. Now coming to the topic of pregnancy specifically, from a universal perspective, the combination of Moon-Venus is the combination of motherhood. When we're investigating the topic of motherhood within a woman's natal chart, we oftentimes investigate her Moon-Venus midpoint because Moon-Venus as a combination is our universal combination of motherhood in general. With that, there are several other 
combinations that also can represent motherhood. Mars, Jupiter as a specific midpoint also is a midpoint of pregnancy and of motherhood. Venus, Jupiter, while not necessarily the combination of motherhood, is the combination of a happy wife or the combination of a happy, abundant, fruitful woman or the combination of a happy, abundant, fruitful marriage. So it's not that far from the general notion or the general idea of motherhood specifically. And for those of us who work with midpoints, if we have Venus, Jupiter as a midpoint and we have the moon on that midpoint, then that definitely can be indicative of motherhood for sure. Similarly, if we have moon, Venus, which is our quintessential motherhood combination, and we have Jupiter on the moon, Venus midpoint, then that definitely can also be representing motherhood for sure. These are several of the ways how motherhood can manifest from an astrological perspective. And while the midpoint lens is a very specific lens, it is a very useful lens because midpoints very often reflect the manifestation of concrete events within the life of a person. So that's the very first thing. Going on to our regular schmegular 12 slices pizza pie chart that we use for traditional astrology that has nothing to do with midpoints. If we look for signatures of motherhood within the context of a soul return chart, there are some things that have been said to be indicative of that. And there have been things that I've observed to be indicative of that. One of those things is that if in a given year, the fifth house is rising within a person's soul return chart, that can definitely be indicative of a major event unfolding within that person's life that directly has bearings on that person's children or that has bearings on that person's ability to be a parent. So if we have the fifth house rising, and let me step back and clarify what I mean by having the fifth house rising. Within a solar return chart, the solar return chart is wholly dependent on your natal chart entirely, which is a part of why we can't interpret the solar return chart independent of really understanding the natal promise or the destiny of that person to whom that chart belongs. Now, I know some of the greatest astrologers in the world who poo-poo on the soul return chart because they haven't figured out a way how to make the soul return chart sing for them. I think this is unfortunate, and the reason why I think it's unfortunate is because if an astrological technique has been around for thousands and thousands of years, chances are it works. Now, this is me, <laughs> the person who doesn't use many astrological techniques that have been around for thousands and thousands of years. For example, I don't use Fridaria. I also don't use zodiacal releasing. I don't even know what it is. I couldn't tell you my head from my tail as far as zodiacal releasing is concerned, and I don't want to know. And the reason I don't want to know is because I have consolidated for myself a group of techniques that emphatically work within the context of my astrological practice. I feel no lack in terms of my abilities as an astrologer that would justify me going out and taking a course on zodiacal releasing. Similarly, I don't know what perfections are. I do know what perfections are actually, but I don't look at them because there is something within the context of that that just doesn't 
jive naturally or organically with the context of my larger predictive astrological suite of techniques. That doesn't mean that they won't work for somebody else. It just means that they don't work for me. And it also means that I don't have the time within my astrological practice to slow down and to see whether or not they'll work for me or not. So to each their own. However, coming back to the topic of my disgruntlement surrounding some of the best astrologers in the world not using the soul return as a predictive method is that when I hear them talking about it, they talk about not being able to make the soul return chart work for them. And that's already an erroneous premise because there is no way to make the soul return chart as an independent chart work for you without juxtaposing the soul return chart against the natal chart. Any chart that is a subsidiary of the natal chart has to be read alongside the natal chart. So if you're an astrologer and you've never found how to make soul returns work for you, then you're probably reading them incorrectly. And within the context of my astrological practice on the Isle of Michael, the only way to read a soul return chart correctly is to have the natal chart on one side and to have the soul return chart on the other side and to bounce back and forth between those two charts to make those two charts sing the same song. And that requires a very nuanced approach. And our approach to interpreting soul returns at the Oraculo School of Astrology is quite complex, but it's complex because it's very concrete, it's very accurate, and it works more often than not. And by more often than not, we're currently going through our exam season at the Oraculo School of Astrology in terms of soul return chart reading. And the students have been batting very high averages, 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, in terms of their ability to predict the concrete events that occurred within a person's life within a given year of that person's life. So for me, soul return charts work emphatically. My Oraculo students practice it. I practice it and we find nothing within the soul return methodology that we use that would make us feel as if the soul return is a speculative astrological practice. So the point of saying that is, if you want to make the soul return chart work for you, then you have to understand how to make the soul return chart work. It's not as simple as reading the soul return chart as a natal chart by itself, and it definitely will share none of its secrets with you if you try to read the soul return chart from a psychological perspective, because soul return chart readings, nothing about them is psychological. The entire notion of reading a soul return chart is to give somebody an outline of the concrete events that will occur within their lives within a given year of life. Now, how do we specifically identify pregnancy within the soul return chart? That one is a little bit nuanced, but I'll give it to you step by step. The first thing that we have to do is to know whether or not fertility and the ability to conceive and the ability to have children is a part of that person's natal promise. Which is why I said the other day that natal astrology is my favorite form of predictive astrology. Because we have to first understand what is going on within a person's natal chart and understand where that person's natal destiny is naturally inclined because if your birth chart doesn't give it to you, no solar return chart, lunar return chart, embolismic lunation chart, no subsidiary chart 
from your natal chart can give you something that your natal chart has not already promised. Therefore, at the Oracular School of Astrology, we say nothing promised, nothing given. And that's going to be the name of my book on predictive astrology, Nothing Promised, Nothing Given. And I'm saying it out loud because I'm sure I've said it in some smaller spaces and people steal. So hopefully if I say it out loud today and then post this on our podcast, it will be known that Michael Bryan said it first. So that's the first thing. Secondarily, after we've identified that pregnancy, conception, pregnancy, and childbearing is definitely within the context of that person's natal destiny, then we can go and look for that within the context of the solar return chart. One of the things that brings about pregnancy as well as childbirth is having the fifth house rising. And I don't want to jump the gun and say that it brings pregnancy and childbirth, but it definitely represents a major event occurring within that person's life that year in relation to children. And a deeper assessment of that soul return first house and the soul return fifth house will tell us how strongly or not that promise is coming to pass. So for example, if the soul return ascendant this year is falling within your natal fifth house, a big event concerning children will manifest within your lifetime. If in your fifth house, it is picking up the square from your natal Saturn or the opposition from your natal Neptune or the quincunx from your natal Mars, it could probably manifest a difficult year within your life in relation to the topic of children. Similarly, if we have the ruler of the soul return ascendant in your natal fifth house, then it can represent or it can be another indication that this is a year when children become a major topic within your life. And once again, if the ruler of the soul return ascendant in your natal chart is picking up the square from a malefic planet, the opposition from a malefic planet, if it happens to be conjunct your natal south node, if it is quincunx a malefic planet, then the more afflictions that soul return ascendant ruler receives, the more afflicted will be the topic of pregnancy and childbirth within that particular year of the native, assuming that that is a topic that the native genuinely wants to speak about. Another thing that I think might be an urban legend is that if you have Leo rising on the cusp of your solar return chart, that can be indicative of a year of childbirth or a year where there is a major pregnancy event. Now, the reason why I don't tend to believe that to be true is because I understand that that idea comes from this version of astrology in which we say that Leo and the fifth house are equivalent. Therefore, if you have your natal fifth house rising and Leo isn't on the cusp, it represents childbirth. But if you have Leo rising on the soul return ascendant, it can still represent childbirth because the fifth house and Leo are the same. I don't believe that to be true in any part of my astrological practice, so I tend not to say it. But I do give people that information so that if you find yourself traveling in other soul return groups, then you have the ability to talk with those people or understand at least what they're referring to when they say that, oh, Leo was rising on this person's soul return ascendant this year, that person got pregnant. So there's the Leo rising situation. 
The other thing, and I mean, this is a long laundry list, but I'll give just one more piece before I speak specifically about what was asked about. Another thing is that if you have the solar return L1 or the solar return ruler of the ascendant located in the solar return fifth house, then that can also be indicative of pregnancy. And the success of that pregnancy will be based on how many supportive or beneficial aspects the ruler of the soul return ascendant is receiving while in the soul return fifth house. If it's very afflicted, then that can indicate a very challenging time surrounding the topic of pregnancy and childbirth. If it is very supported, then that can indicate a very fruitful and happy time around the topic of pregnancy and childbirth. Now, to the specific topic about the angular planets and how they manifest in a solar return chart. If a person is having an angular moon, and I really want to nuance this, but if a person is having an angular moon, an angular moon can be one topic surrounding pregnancy. I'm specifically speaking about the charts of women. I haven't really had that many men come to me and say, in this year will I have a child, but I have had many women come to me and say, in this year will my pregnancy be successful? Will I have a child? Will I be able to carry to term? Those are questions that definitely do manifest. So, when we have the moon angular, particularly moon in the first house, moon in the fourth house, then that can be indicative of a motherhood event. Another thing that would double my idea of this is if we have the moon angular in the first or the fourth house and Jupiter also angular in the first or the fourth house. If we have the moon and Jupiter co-angular, but one is in the first and the other one is in the fourth or vice versa, then that can indicate definitely the expansion of the theme of pregnancy within the home of that person. In other words, the person gets pregnant and the baby comes because Moon and Jupiter is the combination of successful childbirth. It's also the combination of the fruitful womb. It's also the combination of the happy mother. Moon Jupiter is definitely high on our list of angular things. Now, if we had the Moon, Jupiter, and Venus angular with Venus in the 10th house, Jupiter in the 1st house, Moon in the 4th house, or if we were to shuffle that in any sort of way, having those three planets angular at the same time is definitely also indicative of a motherhood event and having those three planets angular can more strongly point towards the direction of a successful childbirth or a successful pregnancy within a particular year of life of the person asking the question. A question was asked regarding Neptune in that combination as well. We don't really like to see Neptune in any combination as far as health is concerned because Neptune is definitely antithetical to the notion of health and Neptune is one of the malefics from a medical astrology perspective that has a direct debilitating effect on the health of the native. So having Neptune in that equation may not necessarily be the best. However, sometimes we do see Neptune coming up within the charts of pregnancies from a solar return perspective. So the point is, in the process of pregnancy, there is this blurring of not knowing where the mother's 
life ends and where the baby's life begins. And so there can be this very nebulous place where I'm not sure whether or not the craving is a craving that I have or if that's a craving that I'm having specifically because of the pregnancy. And so having Neptune mixed in with these other astrological factors can definitely also be indicative of pregnancy, but it is more so indicative of the confusion that the body goes through in the process of pregnancy, as opposed to Neptune itself being a symbol of successful pregnancy or successful childbirth. So these are some of the ways how this topic manifests within the life of a person. I think another topic that is only tangential, it's in no way the central point that I want for you to take away from this, but another thing that can represent major life events within the context of a person's life is if they're having a major lunar phase occur within their chart as well. So that can be the moon-sun conjunction, that could be the moon-sun square, that could be the moon-sun opposition, any of these major hard aspects. The conjunction, the square, or the opposition of the luminaries can represent a major life-altering event within the life of a person. And what's more life-altering <laughs> than having a child, especially having a child the first time? By the time as you've had 10 children, 15 children, then who knows? Maybe your soul return charts will no longer register that you're still making babies, but if you're only having your first child, then it's a very high likelihood that your soul return chart will register the fact that you are having a baby. All right, so that is basically the hour-long soundbite about how to talk about pregnancy within the soul return chart. Now, I do want to leave on one tiny note, and that note is that all branches of medical astrology are very nuanced and they're also very complex. And we want to make sure that we have a deep understanding of medical astrology as a topic first before we go poking around within a person's life as far as the topic of fertility is concerned. Now, this isn't to say that you can't get deeply involved in a cross-current of medical astrology, such as fertility astrology as its own pathway. But even within the context of fertility astrology, we really need to make sure that we understand that topic fully and that we understand the reproductive system as a standalone topic fully, to which end I always suggest that if people want to get involved in any of the branches of medical astrology, whether that is fertility astrology or medical astrology in general, or there's also medical astrology research, and there's also medical astrology elections as far as electing a date for a medical procedure to occur. I think that those people should at least have a fundamental understanding of anatomy and physiology in general, because without that, you're really doing something strange, and you're not really honoring the breadth of what you're practicing. So I've always said if somebody wants to do financial astrology, then they should have some understanding of the financial markets. And similarly, if you're going to be diving into fertility astrology, then you definitely want to have an understanding of how that topic manifests in general and what are some of the concerns that a person might have or that a potential parent might have that they might come to an astrologer with in the context 
of receiving a fertility astrology reading. As astrologers, it doesn't hurt for us to bolster our astrological practice by receiving training in other fields of interest that directly impact our specific astrological topic. Do you know that you can now get daily astrological updates by following us on TikTok and Instagram? Follow us at Oraculos Astrology on both TikTok and Instagram to keep your finger on the pulse of the astrology of the day every day.